our text this morning as we hear from the living God in his word is Galatians 4. Welcome to all of you. A few here for the first time this morning, I know, and uh, we're delighted that you've joined us. We're in the book of Galatians in the Bible, and we're loving it. I, at least I hope we're loving it. I'm loving it. You can find out later if your neighbor is loving it, but don't ask them now. Ask them at the end. Keep your Bibles open, if you would, to Galatians 4, beginning in verse 1. The text that Darren read was verses 1 to 11. But in my preparations this week, I finally came to the decision to end at verse 7. Some of you won't be surprised by that, I know, but I did it because verse 7's the climactic moment, isn't it? So, Paul says, the final implication of all he's been saying, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. That is the conclusion of the entire section of Galatians that began in chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 3 of Galatians, verse 1, through chapter 4, verse 7, is one long, wonderful, dense, challenging, glorious section of this letter. And in it, Paul has essentially one aim, right? So those of you here for the first time in this Galatians series, you, you came in the right week. Paul has had essentially one aim since chapter 3, verse 1, and it is to show the Gentile Galatians that they are God's children, that they are members of God's covenant family, that they are heirs, in fact, of the promises of God made to Abraham, that they will receive God's inheritance, eternal life. And how does Paul explain that to them? Well, he reminds them that they have the Spirit. And that that means they have the hearing of faith. And we've seen that as Paul communicates that they have the hearing of faith, it is because we know that the only way, Paul says, that anyone ever inherits the promises of God is by faith. It's faith. And we've done a whole lot of work to put content and biblical definition to that, have we not, over the last many weeks. So here's what I want to do as we come to the end of this part of Galatians. Not to take long, but I want to back up and just read what I think are the key points of Galatians 3. Not to explain it all again. You can go back to the sermons on the website and fill in what you want to. I only want to let Paul's words, again, or at least the English translation of Paul's words, rehearse for us what we've been covering for several weeks now. Because I want you to sense the force of what's coming in verses 1 to 7 of chapter 4. 
So I want you to move along with me. I'll give you the verse numbers to look there in Galatians 3, all Galatians 3, and then I'll read what part of that I, I want to emphasize just by way of catch up or review or recapturing what Paul's been saying. Here we are, Galatians 3, verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians. Who's bewitched you? Verse 2. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Verse 5. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Verse 9. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham the man of faith. Verse 10, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Verse 19, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. Verse 21, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. Verse 22, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And then verses 24 to 26, so then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. And now chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. And in chapter 4, verses 1 to 7, it will be crucial, as we'll see, to understand that verses 1 to 5 of Galatians 4 are about Israel, and that verses 6 and 7 are about the Galatians, and by extension, therefore, about us. Verses 1 to 5 are about Israel, verses 6 and 7 the Galatians. And just as Paul said at the end of chapter 3, the astonishing conclusion here, as it has been throughout the chapter, is that all people, 
whether faithful Israel or believing Gentiles, all of us, by faith, are children of God. Which is a key point, remember, because we have to keep in mind what the Galatians are facing. There's individuals from Jerusalem coming to the Galatians, putting pressure on them. Remember way back when we started this book, putting pressure on the Galatians to do what? Well, to be circumcised, right? Remember that? And why would these agitators from Jerusalem suggest that that is the critical thing for the Galatians to do? Answer, according to them, to inherit the blessings of Abraham, of course. Abraham was commanded to be circumcised. The law of Moses explicitly encoded that commandment for the people. So simply put, this is what it means to be the covenant people of God, say these agitators from Jerusalem. And going back now all the way to chapter 1, Paul looks at that, that argument, and says, that's a different gospel. A different gospel. You realize what that means? I mean, this is, this is the Bible. We've been on this the last several weeks. It's one God, one people, one covenant, one. There isn't actually another gospel. There isn't actually another gospel to be found in the scriptures. Or in other words, what these agitators from Jerusalem are teaching wasn't ever it. It wasn't it for Abraham and it wasn't it for Moses, and it wasn't ever it. Because nothing's changed in the Bible, as we've seen over the last few weeks, brothers and sisters, when it comes to the covenant and how you receive the promises of God. At this point in Galatians, we should be able to ask, was it ever through circumcision that you were made part of the one people of God? Is that what made you God's true covenant people? Was that ever the key? Doing the works of the law, was that the key? Well, no. I hope you can say no to that by this juncture of Galatians. How could it be, Paul might ask? How could you even suggest such a thing? Don't you know the history of Israel? Don't you recall that the law was added because of transgression? Paul asked in our text from last week. Don't you see from Israel's history that the people were delivered circumstantially from slavery in Egypt? But not from slavery to sin. I want that to be clear. So one more time, listen now. Actually, this is a new text for us, but it's the same point we've made the last couple weeks. Listen now to Hosea chapter 11, verses 1 to 5. In fact, if you would, I go there if you can keep a finger in Galatians, but turn to Hosea 11. It's page 441 in the small type, 441, or 844 in the big type, 
441 or 844, Hosea 11. We're going right back to Galatians 4. There's lots of places you can go to see this in the Bible, but Hosea 11 is perfect because it's exactly in view in Galatians 4, I think. And we'll see the connection here in just a minute. So here's Hosea 11. This is the Lord speaking. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son, which is the Exodus, right? It's the Exodus. Took them out of Egypt. Notice the language. When Israel was a child. Hold on to that. So Israel was a child in Egypt, right? Enslaved, and God rescued the people. Out of Egypt, I called my son. But then what's the very next verse? Hosea 11, verse 2. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Or in other words, the Lord delivered them, children in Egypt. But were they changed? Were they different? No. Yet, the Lord says in verse 3, yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to them and fed them. How the Lord had cared for them, as you would care for a child, right? And yet, verse 2 says, the more they went away. And so what will happen? Verse 5, Hosea 11, verse 5. They shall not return to the land of Egypt. Remember where they were children. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall become their king because they have refused to return to me. Or in other words, Israel will experience a second enslavement in Assyria. Like her first in Egypt, right? They're in parallel. And why? Why is that? Lots of ways you could say it. Lots of ways we've said it over the last few weeks because they didn't obey the Lord because their hearts were hard, because of sin. Or perhaps you could put it in a way that brings us right into Galatians 4. Perhaps you could say, it's because the children never grew up. It's because the children never grew up. That's the point, isn't it? Look at Galatians 4 now. Flip back to Galatians 4, verse 1. I mean, Paul says... After all I've been saying since chapter 3, verse 1, I mean that the heir, my son, God calls them. The collective people of Israel, I mean, Paul says, that the heir, 
as long as he is a child. Do you see the language? As long as they stay a child is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. Look at Paul means to say to the Galatians, you Galatians, you want to care about being circumcised? You want to move back to the Sinai covenant? Don't you see? Life in the Sinai covenant wasn't the life of covenant faithfulness. For most of the people of Israel, it was a life of continued enslavement to sin. You want to go back to that? This is the heir we're talking about, right? Israel. Paul's saying the heir wasn't even granted what you Galatians have been granted. Remember the end of... Chapter 3, the last verse of chapter 3, verse 29, and if you Galatians are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promise. Paul can say to the Galatians the most unbelievable thing. The most unbelievable thing. That they are heirs who will receive the inheritance even as the heir, Israel, remains a slave without the inheritance for as long as he remains a child. That's my understanding of verses 1 and 2, chapter 4. And yet, things can be different. Paul says. For now comes the comparison. It doesn't have to be this way. Verse 3, in the same way, Paul says. In the same way, we also, Paul, speaking for himself as a Jew and those Jews who are like him, we also, when we were children, were enslaved. We were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world, or in other words, Paul says to these Galatians, I was the same. I was the same. I was like the rest of Israel, under sin, and so under the curse of the law, living as one enslaved even to the creation itself, the creation which fallen human beings turn into idols and worship as gods, enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. I was the same, says the Apostle but then came Jesus. Verse 4. But, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive Adoption as sons. Which you may recognize, if you've been around the church long enough, is a rather well-known verse, isn't it? But just in case it's never been clear to you, can I make one simple point about verse 4 and 5? 
Have you ever seen that verses 4 and 5 are most directly for the Jews? They're most for the Jews. Do you see that? I don't mean Jesus hasn't redeemed also us who are not Jews. Paul's coming to that. Wait for verse 6. But here in verse 5, who does Paul say Jesus came for? Those who are under the law. That's why he was born under the law. Not only of human flesh, but under the curse of the law itself, ultimately crucified on the cross, not for his own sins, but for the sins of the whole world, including Israel's own. So that, Paul can say at the end of verse 5, so that we, we, we who have been children since the day the Lord brought us out of Egypt, We might receive adoption as sons. But remember now, Hosea, out of Egypt I have called my son. What is Paul saying in verses 1 to 5 of chapter 4? If we can see it, these are among the hardest verses in the whole book to interpret. If we can see it in verses 1 to 5, what's Paul saying? It's this, that there's one way that the people of Israel can receive what was promised, can receive the promises, can be finally adopted by God their father as sons. And it's Jesus. It's by faith. It's the faithfulness of Jesus and it's their faith in Jesus. It's by faith. For the fullness of time has come, Paul says. Or as Paul said last week, faith has come. We are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. Sons of God through faith. And so here then is the profound mystery of the gospel revealed. We've dealt with Israel. Paul's dealt with Israel. Here's the profound mystery of the gospel. It wasn't just for Israel. It was for everyone. It was for the Galatians. Verse 6. And because you, you are sons. I mean, do you hear the implications of that statement biblically? You are sons. You, you who were never under the law. You who were never part of Israel. You, you get it too. The promises of God. The new creation. The inheritance of Abraham. And then we're right back where we started in chapter 3, aren't we? Because look at the rest of verse 6. What is it that happens to the children of God? To those adopted as sons. Paul says it. God sends His Spirit. God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, it's the Spirit. Let me ask you only this, Paul said in verse 2 of Galatians 3. 
Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? Or by hearing with faith? Do you see? Galatians. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You are sons of God. Now, brothers and sisters, I'm asking you to let the richness of our many weeks of work in this letter since verse 1 of chapter 3 just come crashing into your souls. Would you please? Because this letter was written to the Galatians. But as part of scripture, it's just as much for you. And my message to you as your pastor for weeks now is no different than Paul's message. And it is that you have to know who you are. You have to know who you are. There's nothing I can say to you as your pastor about life or sin or faith or obedience that will be of any use if you aren't clear on who you are. Does that make sense? And according to Galatians 4 verses 1 to 7, who you are is an adopted child of God. Meaning your father chose you. And that as his adopted child then, if all of Galatians is making any sense to us, as his adopted child, two things are true. And you know what they are if you've been here for any of Galatians. First, by the cross of Jesus Christ, you have been forgiven. The cross. You are no longer under sin. You are no longer a slave. You are no longer a child. Sin no longer rules your heart, Christian. The freedom to live for God that such a truth entails. Do you know that freedom? Do you know it? I have been crucified with Christ, Paul said, Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. Sin is dead in you, Christian. You are free from its penalty and its power in your life. Thanks be to God, says Paul in Romans 6, verse 17. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. First is the cross. So second, of course, is the Spirit. Because you are sons, Paul says, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, our hearts, you, Gentile, we, Jews, our hearts. He has sent the spirit of his son, crying, Abba, Father. Your heart's changed, Christian. You've been transformed. The spirit's at work in you, residing and remaining in the very core of your being, and he transforms you, starting from the inside and steadily working his way out. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul says. 
it is no longer I who live. But continuing in verse 20 of chapter 2, it is Christ who lives in me. It's the Spirit. You are sons. And you know just one way you could tell that's a reality in your life? I mean, Galatians is going to turn now. There's going to be many ways. There's going to be many things we describe about how we live in, in step with the Spirit, what life with the Spirit looks like, what, what the fruit of the Spirit looks like, what the works of the flesh look like, and all these things. But just here in this text, one way you can tell if this is real for you is to listen to the cry of your heart. What is it? What does your heart do? What does your heart say when life is challenging? Or when suffering comes? Or when setbacks happen? Or when death draws near? What does your heart cry? Is yours a cry of faith to your heavenly Father, trusting Him? Or is it something else? Is it a cry of intimacy and dependence, or is it one of indignation and desperation? The Spirit cries in our hearts, Abba, Father. Because here's the thing. There's only one other biblical example of someone who cries like that. You know who it is. It's Jesus. It's in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's when his hour had come and he stared death in the face. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you, Jesus said. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. It's Christ who lives in me, Paul says. It's Christ who lives in you, brothers and sisters. Listen to the way your heart cries. And look, this is what Galatians is doing, right? Paul's just spent this whole part of this letter establishing all of this. Justification, righteousness, the nature of faith, the role of the law, the promises, Abraham, the cross plus the Spirit. All of it because Paul knows what matters more than anything else is that the Galatians understand who they are. Because you only live your life, Christian. You live it one time. You only live it out of who you are who you know yourself to be. Isn't that right? It is perhaps the most important pastoral insight I ever received. You come to me pastorally and you say, this is what I'm dealing with. This is the first thing I say to you. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? Because you only live your life out of who you are. And Paul's established now for the Galatians who they are. Thank you for bearing with me for many, many sermons to establish this. 
And so verse 8 of chapter 4 turns a corner as Paul begins now to appeal to them regarding their lives, their decisions, their faith, their obedience, their life in the Spirit. But it only matters. Please hear this. It only works if the Galatians get it. If the Galatians are settled on who they are, which is where Paul concludes in verse 7 of our text. So my question for you is a very basic one. It is, are you settled on this? Or in the course of the last number of weeks, have you become convinced of it again? Hear the word of the Lord from the Apostle Paul. Verse 7 of Galatians 4. Christian, into whose heart God has sent the Spirit of His Son, crying, Abba, Father, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 